Welcome to episode one of Where Wine Takes You, the podcast exploring the people, places, and wines of Paso Robles Wine Country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Each episode is an intimate and real journey with owners, winemakers, growers, and personalities as they discuss the places, the people, and the wines that have shaped the Paso Robles AVA. The goal? To create an interesting and educational podcast aimed at sharing the unique and authentic character of Paso Wine Country. We aim to bring new winemakers into the fold, so tell a friend, as well as entice existing wine fans and just reinforce the magic of Paso Robles Wine Country. A little bit about me, I'm a local radio host here in San Luis Obispo County, and I love Paso wine. But one thing even more special than the place and the wine of Paso is the people. I'm so glad you're here because I'm excited to share it all with you and see where wine takes you. One of the folks you're going to meet today is Josh Beckett from Peachy Canyon. You've likely heard of the wine, but there are so many new exciting things happening to this heritage brand in Paso. Recently, the founder and patriarch, their father, Doug Beckett, stepped aside and handed the reins of the winery to his sons, Jake and Josh. And Josh is going to give us a deep inside look on what's new and how a brand retains all of that heritage while blazing some new and exciting trails of their own. We could have rested on our laurels and just been like, oh, we're Peach Kenny and we've been and we're just still kind of here and we're, we got our little niche and we got our little wine club. And, but that's not how it's going to be and that's not the way I see it or Jake sees it or any of the staff. You know, everybody in the, from the winery, tasting room, sales, they're so pumped and excited to be a part of this evolution. We're going to go to where we never thought we could go before. And, you know, it takes a village and everybody's on board. That conversation with Josh Beckett from Peachy Canyon in just a bit. First, I'm excited to introduce you to Janelle Ducey of J. Ducey Wines. For five generations, her family has made dry-farmed Zinfandel. The name and the fruit is a staple in Paso. And because of Janelle, now the wine is as well. While most 16-year-olds might be saving up for a car, Janelle was saving up for her first new French oak barrel. It's in this girl's blood. She's so talented and so sweet. I can't wait to share her story with you. And see where wine takes you. Give me that action. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is Camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Janelle, it's great to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, Adam. You'd be happy to know. I do have a bottle of your Pinot Grigio. I went to the store and picked one up so we could have this discussion in style. I do love it. It's Perfect. My it's, it's kind of like the local staple, right? It totally is. And that's got to be pretty cool because since this, what was your first vintage of your Pinot Grigio? 2010. So we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this harvest. Wow. Yeah, I've been growing every year since then, but it's nice, especially coming into the summer months right now when, I mean, it's 98, 95 degrees in North County right now, and it's like nothing sounds or tastes better than crisp Pinot Grigio. And it is perfect for poolside, but one thing I like about it, it's it's not like 
too much, you know, like I could have a few glasses of yeah. it and be and be good, you know? Yeah, it's not too thick and viscous where it's still fresh, but, and it's actually not that high of alcohol, so you can have quite a few glasses without, you know, <laughs> having to turn in early or anything. Right. Well, I hope people, uh, you know, check out their local wine list or uh, the shelf at their local store for the J. Ducey Pinot Grigio. Look, with everything going on, Janelle, everything, you know, people, businesses, wineries especially, have had to pivot and make different changes here and there and ride this way that we've never seen anything like this what has jay ducey done to pivot with everything going on right now yeah adam it's been such an interesting time obviously no one's ever gone through it but um having to shut down abruptly of the tasting room has been making you try to be more creative and we're trying wine specials we're trying you know low shipping rates or free shipping and one of the great things about this time and quarantine at home is that people are enjoying wine enjoying family time and dinner and more more wine at home. So fortunately for us, you know, we do have to do some work. We got to figure out, be creative, get some specials in their faces on social media, on newsletters, on phone calls and get out there and be like, hey, make it easy for the customer and they're buying it. So it's nice. We're doing a lot of shipping we're doing curbside pickups. All you have to do is call from the parking lot or, or walk in. We'll bring it right out the door. So it's been going good. The hardest part is doing it without a lot of employees. And so we're really just touching every bottle that goes out, you know, between packing it up to ship it to people to their doorstep or bringing it out to your car. It's been me. So um, I'm excited to get all the staff back in and get customers back in the door, hopefully pretty soon. Now, when that does happen, because the reopening, although it's something that we are incredibly looking forward to, it's something that we all also want to do the right way. What are some of the discussions and conversations that you're having there to reopen in a way that you know suits your style and suits your vibe and heart? Yeah, for us, we're trying not just to, as soon as they say go, open the doors and, you know, try to scramble. We're really trying to methodically plan it out and how um, we're going to follow guidelines, but also not being a big rush to do it because people are, you know, they can swing by and buy the wine. But we do, you know, it's such a great time late spring, early summer. I can't wait just to have people be able to come sit outside on a picnic table and enjoy the view and enjoy a bottle of wine. I don't know when we're going to start wine tasting, but we definitely plan the first week of June to open up for just enjoying a bottle with a friend or two outside. And why not enjoy the views of the rolling hills vineyards here on the west side of Paso? I mean, it's the perfect time to enjoy wine at a winery. So, you know, we're, we're feeling it out. We're planning it. We're trying to roll out with a, in a good way and not, not trying to scramble to be one of the first wineries to open or rush it too fast. Our sites have been on the first week of June since, actually, since early April. We wow. told our staff. And in early April, it seemed bizarre to say that. We're like, I we're going to plan on June 1st. I know. And the fact that we said that in my mind seemed outrageously crazy. And it's, it's coming to fruition. It's coming to look to be that way. So it's kind of wild. You know, the grapes have had no notion of anything that we have been dealing with as it relates to coronavirus or COVID. How are the vineyards looking for 2020 and how, what are the haps in the cellar? Um, you know, the grapes can't know that there's something crazy going on with this virus, but we are oddly behind schedule. We're about three weeks late in the vineyard and that had a lot to do with the cold, cold spring, a little cooler than normal. And so kind of push back everything, bud break flowering, everything is getting pushed back a little bit. Um, and on our old vines in, you are very susceptible to, um, you know, the heat and the cold and things like that. And it got pretty cold on some of these spring mornings. Not when the bud had broken, like bud break, but when they were swelling in their buds actually on the vine and it kind of deep frozen a little bit. So 
we're not only about two to three weeks behind on the growing season, but we lost, I think we lost a little bit because of a little bit of a frost. So I think our quantity or tonnage out there is going to be a little bit lower than normal. We still have a long way to go. We still have all summer to get through and a lot more of Mother Nature's curveballs to get past before we can really determine it. But right now, it looks a little late and it looks a little low. Janelle Ducey is on with us here. Where wine takes you, you cannot talk about Paso, its unique history, and not talk about Ducey's Infidel. This is California's heritage variety. It is Paso Robles heritage variety, and it is Jay Ducey's. This is your heritage variety. What was it about this area and this special grape that was so special to your family, Janelle? Absolutely. It's our family heritage. As far as getting into Zinfandel, honestly, it was because my great-grandparents came from northern Italy. When they came to pass Robles and settled here, it was like, okay, let's assimilate. What are the other Italian families doing here in this town? And they were all planting Zinfandel. So that's what they did. They all helped each other. The Rotas, the Pazintis, the Yorks, they all helped each other plant their Zinfandel vineyards. And I cannot say how much enjoyment I get that we're one of the only families that is still family farmed. All the vineyards are intact and it's it's what we want to do and where we want to be, you know? And the fact that we stood the test of time through five generations and through the ups and downs of Zinfandel. Can you imagine Zinfandel in the 60s and 70s? And, God, you know, you think about the white Zin movement and, right. you know, Zin lasted. That's why I think you can call it California's heritage grape. It was one of the first varietals planted, but it lasted the test of time. Like, it lasted decades of ups and downs and Zinfandel being not really respected and then it came back through when you have producers like Turley making $50 ins and Ridge making world-class ins and I think it just showed that this varietal in this climate and this topography can thrive. You've been very much an instrumental participant in Zinfandel Advocates and Producers Zap. Uh, we'll go up there each and every year to check out what's going on. And one thing that we learned this go around, and I heard Biali, I think, talking about it when he was on the show, and it was about Zin respect. Zin is seeing respect again, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It's making a, a turnaround. And, and if you really think about it, I think about 10 years ago, it was hot. It was on all these wine lists. And, you know, in the last couple of years, it's gone down a little bit. And now it's like coming back again. And it's just one of those bridles that it goes up and down. And luckily, we're on the upward swing right now. But I think people, and a lot of the reason because of that is that people, winemakers, are approaching Zen in a little bit different light. How's and, that? you know, Zen can be so big and bombastic and jammy and high alcohol. And everyone thought that was kind of cool for a time about 10, 12, you know, 15 years ago. And people are now starting to respect it more. Like, well, this is a really good grape. And if we treat it a little bit differently, we can make a world-class wine. We can make a food-friendly wine, which nobody ever compared Zinfandel with because it was so high alcohol and jammy. In order to do that, we pick it a little bit, or I pick it, you know, a little bit leaner and meaner. So don't let it get so overly ripe on the vine that it tastes like a port, you know? It has so many great characteristics, a bright fruit and lots of spice on the finish on certain years. And if you pick it a little bit earlier sugar levels and just kind of help it along the winemaking process and not over-oak it, not overshadow it with a bunch of other things, Zinfandel is a very classy you know, varietal, and it can be. It's all about the winemaking process, too. I've used this term 
called Passover restraint because Passover almost has no problem getting fruit of, you know, 40, 50 different varieties ripe and just world class. But when you kind of pull back a little bit, like you said, like you just so perfectly said, yeah, yeah, you use that Passover restraint, you can dial in something so world class. And really, this has been uh, this has been kind of like the current theme with uh, Zinfandel. How many different Zinfandels are you making right now? Um, I'm making two vineyard, uh, actually three vineyard designations, and then two Zinfandel blends in a Zin port. Let's talk about what Paso Robles offers Zin. What are some of the characteristics? I mean, Zinfandel, the cluster that comes off the vine, has got a lot of character, a lot of personality to it. But what does Paso Robles do to Zinfandel that is so special and so unique? I don't want to be just one more person to say it, but you know that diurnal temperature swing really does something for the Sindel. Um, I People you use this term a lot, but it's so true in what it does for pastoral bowls, and that's talking about our today. 98-degree daytime high, dry heat, and tonight will be 52 degrees. It's such a swing in temperature difference that a lot of the old vines in is dry farmed, and it doesn't have any chance of getting any drop of irrigation water all summer long. So in order to survive these arid 100-degree days and keep producing fruit all summer long, it really recuperates at night. And at night, getting down to the 50s, really recoup and get ready for the next day, as well as our ocean breeze that comes over every afternoon. So it's 98 outside right now. The breeze is starting to come through, and we're in that direct line from the ocean, and we start we start to cool down very, very quickly. And I think that has to do a lot with Paso Robles, But when you talk about Zen and you talk about the cluster, that's what the Medella is so unique for. It has uneven ripening per vine and per cluster. And there's been studies out there where people try to take the perfect berry size and make it really uniform. And, you know, on the crush pad, when it comes in, they they sort the fruit and throw away the ugly fruit, throw away the raisins, throw away the stuff that might be a little too green. And that works with almost every other variety in the wine world except for Zinfandel. Zen likes the good, the bad, the ugly. It likes it all. And that's what makes (laughs) such a better bottle of Zinfandel is taking, you know, what the vine is producing and what each cluster has on it. It sounds crazy, but it's true. That's really special because, you know, you talk about that sense of place and the place that Paso Robles is. And, you know, here's a grape that says, hey, don't outsort me. Everything here belongs. (laughs) Exactly. I wouldn't be giving it to you if I didn't want you to use it. Yeah. Right. So um, it's funny. A lot of people really oversort it and it, it, it just can swing one way or the other. And that's the crazy classicness of Zinfandel is that it's all of those things that um, don't seem perfect, but make such a perfect wine. So we learned a lot about Zinfandel just in the last couple moments, how it's very unique in the way it comes off the vine. And also something very unique about Paso Robles wine country. And that's this diurnal temperature shift, which means the hottest part of the day and the coldest part of the evening are so far away from each other. That shift can sometimes be between 40 and 50 degrees. And that's that really yeah. plays a huge leading role in why world-class wine does so good. And so many different varieties do so well here. So many different varieties. And when you narrow down a Zinfandel, they're one of the most that benefits from that because because they're dry farmed. Or a lot of them are. Definitely when the old vines are. So um, they don't get a chance of reprieve from the heat by, you know, <laughs> irrigation turning on the, the drip at all. So they live for that. And that's why they excel so well. Janelle, you've been making wine since a young woman. I almost want to say a girl. You've this has been in your blood for uh, so yeah. long. Was this always to yeah. <laughs> Was this always something you felt destined to do? 
I didn't feel destined like this is what I want, you know, do for the rest of my life. But at 12 years old, when I'm begging my parents and grandparents to teach me how and nobody will, and finding my grandfather and saving my savings at 16 years old to buy a brand new barrel, I was kind of obsessed with it. And, and I knew I just wanted to see what happened. I lived on 100. I was born and raised on 100 acres of old vines in. I mean, these leaves, the grapevine canes touched my bedroom window. They were my playground as a kid. It was everything to me. And I just wanted to make wine. I didn't think about the future. And back then, there weren't many wineries in Paso Robles. It wasn't like, I want to practice making wine at 13 years old so that I can have a winery one day. That That wasn't the initial reasoning or anything. I just... I, they were my best friends, you know. I lived on this acreage, and my older brothers didn't want to play with me. And I was like, I tinkered around with the grapes and stuff with my grandfather. So that's what really got me into it. And as I kept playing more in high school and college and coming home and making a barrel of wine every year, I was like, I can do this. I want to take our family fruit of what's been here since the early 1920s and take it and put our family name on it. Why not? So I got more and more obsessed with becoming a winemaker as I got older. But I'm very glad I, I stuck with it and doing what I love. I picture you walking down the rows, and I know you lost your grandfather maybe a little over a year ago, and walking down these rows, or maybe, you know, it's quiet, there's no one else around, you're in your cellar. What are some of those memories and pieces of this journey that just ring so special to you in those moments? I think just the rawness of how much my family, my dad, my grandfather, everybody love, loves the land, loves where we live and chooses to be here. I mean, we have 100 acres on Highway 101. You could sell it in a heartbeat for as much money as you want it and go do anything else. But never in our wildest dreams would we ever want to leave that vineyard, you know, or sell it. Or That's us. And walking through those vines and the rows, that's our history. And that's, you know, we've taken care of them for so long. And that's what I did with them all day, every day. It's just us. You know, Paso is so great at offering more than just a chance to taste wine, but the experience in and of itself has become so important. What is that vibe and experience you want to leave with someone that comes to Paso and makes a visit to J. Ducey? You know, I think what we have around here, around the front of the winery, is that we have outdoors, lots of spacious room where it's all overlooking rolling hillsides of Westside Paso and vineyards and oak trees, which is the whole meaning of Paso Robles and the passing of the oaks. These oak trees in the middle of these vineyards are so breathtaking and beautiful. And the luxury of just sit outside on a picnic table or a bistro table and just enjoy the wine that came from the land you're sitting on just seems perfect. And I think that in Paso, you're getting more of the realness. You're getting the real owner or winemaker somewhere on the property, probably. And you're getting family or friends and people just here with really positive attitudes That because we... We want to live here. We want to be here. And um, and fortunately, we get to <laughs> drink wine outside. But I'm really excited about um, sharing again with the public and having people able to come and enjoy wine that's grown right outside, right in front of them. You know, Janelle, one thing someone notices living here, perhaps working here, certainly after visiting here, is the vibe, that ethos. It's next to nothing. It's so special. The way that growers and winemakers and all the folks within the industry have that camaraderie, that connection. It's so interesting to have the balance because there's a lot of places that make great wine. Look, Napa makes great wine, but I don't know that you see the kind of heart and the kind of connection between folks that you do here. What is it about this area where the place and the people are so equally special? 
gosh, Adam, good point. I do feel that from the bottom of my heart. I feel like that. But, you know, I think it's a good mix of the fact that this is a destination. And if if you're born here, you grew up here, you moved here, everyone that's here loves it. They love Paso Robles. And we have a little bit of everything. We have the heat. We have the cold. We have the vineyards. We have the cows. We have so much. And I think one of the things you can really sense is that even from the workers in the tasting room to the gardeners to the cellar workers, everybody wants to be working and, you know, living their life in Paso Robles and working at a winery because it makes them happy. And in the end result, that's what a bottle of wine is all about. Sharing with friends or with family, and it's always memorable. It's always typically a joyous occasion, and we even stamp our corks that says, killed the bottle with, with a blank spot. And you're supposed to write in who you enjoyed that bottle of wine with because it's memorable. And when you pull that cork out a year later out of the vase you put it in, you're like, oh, I remember I had this wine with Adam during quarantine. That was so amazing. <laughs> and it brings you back to the place and time you had that wine. And hopefully people remember having the wine here at JDC out in the patio and amongst vines and amongst great people, I hope. You know, I've you know, long been a friend of yours. I've long been a fan of yours. And I think it's so cool to have this podcast with Paso Wine and talking about where wine takes you and have you be one of the first episodes because there is no more bigger heart and a gal that represents Paso like you, your wine, and your family. So it really means a lot that you spent some time with me today. Oh, thanks. I'm so happy to do it. I'm excited to hear more of you. Janelle, if people want to learn more about your tasting room, what, you know, of course, as things are changing and hours and we're welcoming people back into the fray, what's the website and how people can learn more about you? Absolutely. It's com. So J. D-U-S-I-W-I-N-E-S, a plural, dot com. Janelle Ducey, you're a big-time winemaker. Now you do a lot of interviews. Am I still your favorite? Um, Absolutely. Did you have to ask? <laughs> you're the best. Cheers. Thanks, Adam. Our thanks to Janelle Ducey of J. Ducey Wines. Now it's time for our conversation with Josh Beckett. He and his brother Jake have recently taken the reins of one of the oldest names in Paso Wine, Peachy Canyon. Josh Beckett, it is great to talk to you, my friend. How are you? Good. How are you, Adam? What's happening? It's been a long time, so it's great to hear your voice and to see what the latest is with Peachy Canyon. This time has been so unique and nothing like anything we've ever dealt with before. And every business has kind of pivoted in a different way. You guys have been a staple in Passover's wine country since the early 80s, one of the first ones here. When something like this came Peachy Canyon's way, how did we pivot? What did we do? Yeah, I mean, it's if you had told me this was going to happen when we were hanging out at Zach's last, you know, January, whatever it was, I would be like, yeah, right. What are you talking about? You know, right. life is good. We, you know, we're living the California dream, the wine dream. And now here we are. And we've just been kind of, you know, kind of shell shocked, you know, not being able to see all our guests and friends and family at the tasting room. And, you know, and then spend time with them has been like the hardest, you know, having that intimate experience that we've had for 30 some years. And then now we can't go on the road to sell wine. We can't do tasting. We can't do dinners, can't do events. And we're coming up with new ways. We've got new ideas and we're going to, you know, we're going to get through and we're going to make some changes and get ready. Everybody back and experiencing Paso and 
Peachy Canyon soon, any day now. Now, Peachy Canyon has long been one of these names that people have been familiar with, with Paso Robles, because it's on their shelf, maybe where they live, but also when they come to Paso Robles, Peachy Canyon has welcomed folks for, like you said, over 30 years. We're a Zen house, but we are, we're evolving, and you've seen the success of a lot of Rones and Rhone blends do well. Of late, do you feel Peachy Canyon is kind of taking on more of what Paso can do beyond Zinfandel? Absolutely, 1,000%. I think you know, we are fortunate that we have a great varietal. You know, we have heritage, we have history, we have a varietal to hang our hats on. But at the same time, you know, our colleagues and friends that you and I both know and have seen the evolution of the Rhone movement here in Paso over the last 20 years, you know, Jake and I, we've always dabbled in it with Peachy. We had a little, but about 10 years ago, we started planting other things besides sin could see what people were doing. So we planted, you know, we have 30 acres of dry farm just here at the winery. We put in Kunawas and Carignan and Syrah, Grenache, Malvet, Petite Syrah. We have four other ranches as well that have different, you know, Rome varietals. But fortunately, we all, they, are, they lend themselves to Zinfandel blenders and then just the standalone to have a Rome blend, to have a straight Syrah or, you know, something like that is Something that Jake and I saw, like, we need to be, we want to stay on the forefront. We want to be a part of the evolution still, especially since we've been here, you know, so long. We don't want to get left behind trying to stay strictly to our roots, but wanted to do new things. And and we've seen the success already. We have a new GSM. We have the yellow one. We've got a Zen Roan blend that just people are just going nuts over. And it's, it's awesome to be a part of it. Josh Beckett is from Peachy Canyon. One of the more exciting newer chapters of Peachy Canyon's story is the fact that some new life has been breathed in with you and your brother Jake taking over for uh, your dad, Doug Beckett, who is the patriarch of the brand and started it in the late 70s, early 80s. What has that dynamic been like? And what were some of the paramount things that as you sit in a room with your brother by yourself and now have a deeper, more developed understanding of what Paso is about and has become what you guys are about and have become what did you want to see happen first and foremost we thought it would never happen we definitely didn't think my dad would ever you know step aside or he was and he's still around so we thought you know wait this is never gonna happen and obviously that's why we both kind of went and did our own thing for a while after working for him but then we came back but we really have my dad was a super entrepreneur like he really liked numbers he liked the business side of it and where jake and i coming back on board we're as he was, not to take anything away, we're really passionate about the wine and passionate about the vineyard and not as passionate as filling boxes, I guess, and not on volume. I don't get a charge out of saying I'm in every state of the union. That doesn't really do anything for me. I get a charge of saying this wine is kicked ass. Like this is the best wine possible. I don't care if I made 300 cases or 30,000 cases of it. I want that to be the best wine possible. And Jake is, you know, 100% on board and doing the same thing. And really, we're trying to expand that and focusing more on our, making the wine from our estate vineyards and or very limited purchasing of exclusively Paso fruit to be the best that it can be. And that's been one of the biggest changes and challenges. You know, you can't just turn off a switch overnight. So it's been a slow change and it's just we're, you know, forecasting how over the years, okay, we're going to pull back on making this much incredible red. We're going to pull back on making this much West Side with the 
thought that we're still going to make it, but it's just going to be even better than it's ever been because we're going to make it more hands-on, more intimate, the way Peachy was when it started. Being, you know, 100% family-owned and operated, still, you go growing pains and trying to compete with the corporate world on a small little family winery has those challenges. So Jake and I really want to hone it back in and make it just, the best that it can be. You know, your dad came from a school and a class of names like Joel Peterson and Kent Rosenblum. I mean, he used to tour uh, the, the world. He would go all over the country and yep. across the, the pond with Kent Rosenblum and share a hotel room and, and share the story of Zinfandel. And your dad was instrumental in sharing the story of Paso Robles. Peachy Canyon was the reason a lot of people even first visited or heard of Paso Robles. But now this new life breathed into the brand is going back to basics. And I think we're in for a really exciting time with Peachy. I can hear it just in your voice. Yeah, I hear it all the time from whether it's people, you know, oh, I got, I started our winery because we met your mom and dad at the taste room back in the day. And we wanted to do this when you guys are still up on the hill out on Peachy Canyon Road. Or I am so pumped to see what's half coming next. I've been watching you guys over the years and now see the evolution and the change. Super excited about the wines that are going to come out. We're in a moment to where the next 30 years, that Jake and I will be doing this, you know, with all of our colleagues and the new up and coming, like it's starting to get weird to me. Like I am kind of not an old guy, but it's like, okay, I, I see all these new <laughs> kick-ass guys, what they're doing in Tin City. And they're, I could just tell they're like, oh yeah, that's Josh. Yeah. yeah he's been around a bit. I don't know. If I'm not gonna talk. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think of folks like you and you know, the, the, the list is small and you take maybe like, of course, Janelle and the Deuces. And yeah. I mean, these people are super instrumental in the story that has been told that makes in a tin city pop up even possible and the fact that you guys yeah. folks like janelle folks like you and your brother what you're doing with the heritage names that you're associated with and kind of revamping it 2.0 for what we are getting into now is very very special you know what's so interesting about Paso Robles? it's that obviously the place i mean you could drive a few hours in a bunch of different directions from paso and find great places that make world-class wine but the people here mix with the place it's a, really a combination that you do not see anywhere else no, you can, yeah, you can, whether you're coming to do your tasting room visit, you're not going to get a normal tasting room where you just show up in Napa, Sonoma, Temecula, where you're just going to go up, pay your fee and move on. Like you're going to see somebody, you're going to run into somebody that could be the winemaker, seller master, a family member, and you're going to get an experience and you're going to get stories. Some guys are going to come in all dirty and grubby, you know, right off the tracker from being out in the field and just walk right in and just start sharing a glass of wine with you or telling stories. And then you can go downtown and do the same thing with the restaurants. Or you can go take it even further and do some wine tour. Or you can go to the coast. Or you can go to Margarita and Zipline. You could do, there's like, you could spend so much time here that you will create it and turn it into like an annual trip because you cannot do it all on a weekend or even three or four or five days. Paso Josh is so great at offering more than just a chance to taste wine. We've gone yeah. beyond bellying up to a tasting room bar just to, to drink wine, but the experience in and of itself is so important. What is the vibe and experience that you want to leave with someone that comes and makes a visit to Peachy Canyon? 
I want, you know, I want them to realize that they're appreciated, you know, that we appreciate them coming. And I want them to come and I want them to feel welcome and not feel intimidated. It's more about what they think and what they like and don't like. And we will have something for them. We will have a wine that they will enjoy. And we will be able to point them in the right direction to one of our friends and neighbors as well, based on what their experience was with us and what we learned from them and kind of showcase them on a tour to where they're going to the rest of their trip here in Paso. They'll be able to try exactly what they want or what they're looking for. But also what Paso brings and what Paso has to offer to everybody and to be able to share this next segment of the peachy life along with the likes of these high-end rones and the wines that are getting depressed that they're getting coming out of Paso, those world-class, to be a part of that is something that it, you couldn't have wrote a better story. Yeah. You and Jake were pioneers in your own way. I mean, you look at the attitude and the wine behind Chronic Cellars. It is you and your brother. It's your own path, and you blazed your own trail. And I think to do that was necessary to come back in the way and then to bring all of that, all of what you learned back into the mix here. I think this is one of the more exciting stories about Paso because not only does it have all the heritage, but it brings this new blood, this new life. And I don't care what you say, man. I think you, you know, you're definitely, you're definitely the young guard still, man. I don't know. You're, you're doing just fine. But you breathe so much new life into this whole game and into yeah. Paso. Look at people came to Chronic and they, they, they magnified to what you were doing because of the attitude and the whole like come as you are there are no stupid questions let's just see what you like and, and take some home and then to be able to take that and still and then take those people and raise the bar up to the level of say peachy or Torin or Saxon Booker, you know, and make them like them go, oh, wait, this stuff is really good. Yeah. Now I think I want to go try this because I'm understanding my palate. I'm understanding what I like and don't like and being able to get them introduced into quality and then just evolve and go up from there is, you know, that's a home run. That's, that's what we have to do as a wine community is keep creating new connoisseurs. We can't rely on this. You know, we're learning that right now. Everybody going through this COVID thing, this is something that we are all, every winery, I don't care who they are, everybody's changing how they're doing business, how they're selling wine. They're doing things they swore they never would do, whether it's tastings, free tastings, free shipping, discount this, discount. I'm never going to discount. I'm never going to do this. But we're all having to evolve and be chameleon-like. We have to create new connoisseurs. We have to reach out to new people and we have to evolve and broaden our reach as individuals and as wineries and as a region at the same time. It's a totally different buyer than the person, than the man or woman who was buying from, you know, your dad in the beginnings of Peachy Canyon. It's a totally different market. It's a totally different person who wants to visit Paso. And like you said, zip line over here and then have dinner over here, hit my Peachy Canyon thing right here. It's a different time. And I think it's so exciting to see you guys in the way you have been rolling with it, but staying forever a pioneer, but forever like, hey, you better watch us because we're changing. We're getting better. We're never going to stop honing in on this great fruit. What are people going to expect when they come as things are beginning to reopen now? What is kind of like the MO that Peachy wants to say, hey, this is what we're doing right now. This is our vibe at the moment. And this is what we're moving towards. 
I'm excited because it's going to be a more of an intimate tasting. It's going to be a reservation and or if you show up and you'll have one, you can call in and make a reservation right now. But it's going to be a lot more one-on-one time. So each group or each person really gets a to hear the story and interact with somebody at a safe distance if they want the staff member to main, keep their masks and gloves on the whole Throughout the whole tasting, they will. If not, and they're good with the distance, we'll do that. It'll be fresh glasses, fresh wine, everything. And they will be able to learn and have that tasting room wine experience and not just be bellying up at the bar. And it's something that I've always wanted to do with Peachy over the years. We still have our normal tasting, but I want to be able to provide, because that's what a lot more people are looking for these days. They want to really learn. They want to know what the vineyards are about. They want to know what the wine's about. And if you're all, you got a group and you're running back and forth and you can't get to somebody, they're get it, cause they kind of get lost and they feel maybe not as one-on-one. They didn't get the experience and, with tightening up and with this slow movement to start to reopen tasting, we're going to keep it intimate. We're going to allow only so many people at a time. And if you have to wait, you have to wait. It's okay. It's like a restaurant. You can, and if they want to stay and wait for their seating, they will get the same experience. That's why I'm excited is we get to really spend more time with each individual customer. And it'll give me more time to visit Jake, Skyler, Drew, whoever it is. You know, we're going to also go over and spend time besides just the tasting of staff. You know, it's been about 10 years now that I've had the pleasure of interviewing you and folks like you and wineries and doing the show with folks like you. And one thing that I have noticed from doing shows from Napa to Bordeaux to Alexander Valley, Dry Creek, Santa Barbara, oh, you know, you fill in blank. Paso has a camaraderie and a connectivity and a brethren that is so special. And you were literally one of the first people I ever met in this business doing what I do. And I literally, when I think of like, if I go in my brain's Wikipedia of like the Paso vibe and the friendliness from like one winemaker to another, and just like that love, that brother, sisterhood, my Wikipedia picture is your face. Like literally, I learned this (laughs) from you. This is something that is all over Paso though. How important is it to be a part of a brand and that your parents chose Paso Robles to settle here? Because it's not only a great mix of great earth and great terroir, but great people and great vibes. Yeah, you have. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better community to build a region and take it to the next level. Like you said, we have the best soils. We got the best diurnal temperature swing being through with the Pacific Ocean and the San Lucia mountain range and all that stuff. But without a community to be there to support each other and to support the community by themselves when they're outside in the market, in the wine world and talk about Paso, we, I don't see us elevating ourselves and the quality as fast. Because we all are willing to work together. We are willing to talk to each other and share ideas and share stories and share. I mean, we've got, I mean, we got Talbot's Creek. I mean, they, they brought Rhone to Paso and then shared it with everybody. They didn't hide it or hoard it or, you know, try to do it. They brought it and then they made it available via nurseries to even more people that wanted it. We've got the best people getting 100 point scores all over town from, you know, the best critics in the world. And yet you guys could we can still pick up the phone and call each other. Yeah. Pick up the phone. I call, you know, Hey, you got, you might have a little fruit maybe next year or, 
hey, I got a pump that's down, or hey, I got, I need some bins, or I got, I need to move something, or you know, and it's there's never, and I haven't experienced it, and maybe you know, and I don't believe, and I hope not. I've never heard or felt a cold shoulder, a I'm not going to waste my time, even if it's not going to, you know, they're going to get zero out of it. They're still willing to go out and share and be a part of the experience and be a part of Paso because they know it benefits all of us in the long run. And I truly believe that it is a big reason as why we are here today. And even the guard, the old guard before us were that way. They might've been a little more crotchety, you know, the old, you know, the Gary Everly's and the Dutch Beckett's <laughs> of the world, you know, <laughs> you like to get after each other a little bit, but you know, but that was because I think that was even so much the wild west where they were just still trying to figure out the yeah. lines in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, we've been able to follow their lead though, because they definitely all support each other and really they all pushed hard for Paso when, you know, when they are out in the market and, you know, created this AVA and now to for all of us to keep working together and keep, you know, watch each other's backs. If I don't make Cabernet because I'm Pecanian, I'm not going to say Cabernet doesn't do well in Paso. I'm going to lay down 10 wineries that kick ass at Cab and let you know this is where you need to go. This is who you need to go see right now. And I guarantee they're going to make the best Cab that you can find anywhere else in California and that's not stand up to the rest of the world. Josh Beckett here with Peachy Canyon. Well, next time you see that Peachy Canyon label, and who knows, it may be even a little bit more of a different uh, pimped out, souped up label. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> with everything going on, next time you see them, know that some extra special care as these guys are kind of breathing new life into what's happening there is being taken with each bottle. And uh, next time you make your way to Paso, make sure you stop by Peachy Canyon to get that one of a kind experience that has all of the pioneership with the heritage that Peachy Canyon has, but also uh, this new fresh blood, which is so exciting. And I can't thank you enough, Josh, for taking some time with me right now. It means a lot. Hell yeah, anytime. I hope to see you soon. PeachyCanyon.com is the website. Folks can make reservations. They can learn about where you're at as far as the reopening. PeachyCanyon.com, the best place? Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, man. You going to go surfing soon? I hope tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for the time, Josh. Cool, I'll talk to you soon. Give me that we pass on down till the job is Thanks again to Josh Beckett of Peachy Canyon and of course Janelle Ducey of J Ducey Wines. Thanks for listening to episode one of Where Wine Takes You, a podcast exploring the people, places, and wines of Paso Robles Wine Country. Every episode promising to be an intimate and real journey with owners, winemakers, growers, and personalities as they discuss the places, the people, and the wines that have shaped the Paso Robles AVA. Next week on the show, they call him the godfather of Paso wine, Gary Eberly will be on. He is full of knowledge, full of stories, full of history, and mildly irreverent. I guarantee it will be an entertaining conversation. You can learn more about your favorite Paso Robles wineries and what's happening in Paso wine country at our website, PasoWine.com. Also, I encourage you to follow us on social media, Facebook at Paso Robles Wine and on Instagram at Paso Wine. Well, we did it. Episode number one in the books. I'm Adam Montiel, your host. And wherever wine takes you, I hope somewhere along the way, it brings you back to Paso. Cheers.
And give me that passion Keep bowing past all round Till the job is Camp out in the trees It will simplify Good company Give me that moonshine Keep bowing past all round Till the job is Camp out in the trees It will simplify Good company Give me that moonshine Keep bowing past all round Till the job is